Lord, we just pray today that that song would become true in our lives. A thought that is, Lord, that you want to bring new wine out of our lives. You want to bring new life. You want to make us expansive. You want to expand who we are. And so, Lord God, we ask that your spirit in these next moments that we spend in your word would expand us, expand our capacity to walk this way with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So how do you begin a sermon with the word perfect in it? How do you do that? The moment you start using that word, the moment you start throwing that word around, sometimes people kind of fold their arms and say, all right, well, we know that's not true about any of us. So how, how do we start with, with the word perfect well, let's start by reviewing where we've been, maybe thinking about some key words that have arisen over recent weeks. Um, last week, Pastor Serena captured for us this living the way of Jesus in the arena that is most sorely tested, which is relationships. Appreciated the way she took that whole passage and helped us understand, and landed at this place, and this is the word that I walked away with, landed with the key word of surrender. That we're to surrender ourselves in relationship to God if we're going to see our relationships become kingdom relationships. And since the primary focus of God's entire redemptive plan is in fact relationships, relationships with God, relationship with others, even relationship with creation. This is a practical guide for salt and light in relationships. We want to be these lives that are an extreme reveal, if you remember, of what it means to follow Jesus, revealing him. But, but not just any life, we, but a life that delights in participating with God in life with Jesus, then we can be called what we said we're the blessed ones, remember? Even when the last thing that seems to be warranted is blessing, we're reminded, blessed are you. That's what it means to follow him. He calls us right where we are, and in that moment, we discovered we make a keystone decision, like the disciples made. A keystone decision to, to either follow Jesus or not follow Jesus. It's really, there's no gray matter there. It's you're going to follow him or you're not going to follow him. But all of this is what it means to follow Jesus and the details and the difficulties. All of this, the joys and the sorrows, the great days and the not so great days, it, it, this becomes a defining decision of our lives. But all of what we've been talking about, all of it doesn't begin with us. It begins not with what I think I can do or what I think I can be, but in how God himself defines who I am. And so we hear him say, you are my beloved child. In you I am well pleased. Before we're anything, before we do anything, before we're known for anything, 
And when we know that, when we know really who we are, Pastor Eddie helped us understand that we can even walk through the darkness and the struggles of temptation and wilderness experiences in life when we know that we are his child. That's the way of Jesus. It sounds so compelling to us, and it is. And, and in these weeks, we, we've tried to invite one another to imagine a different way of living this life with Jesus. And maybe, maybe you, I know I have, maybe we've had to reassess, in some ways, how we have lived this way of Jesus. I hope you have. Because I know there's a couple places where I've had to step back and go, you know, I need to look at that. But we now end this series with some words that may provide the clearest definition of what this way is fully about. Words from Jesus. He said, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect. Well, looking at those words as we look in the mirror, we may think they're the most unreasonable words that Jesus Christ has ever spoken. Because no one's perfect. And when we hear those kind of words, immediately, our immediate response is to either get a bumper sticker or a Facebook post which says something like this, I'm not perfect, but I am forgiven. Right? We want to right away defend our imperfection in some way with our faith and say, I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. But, but these aren't my words. These are the words of Jesus. He said not just be perfect, but be perfect like God. And I think what trips us up somewhat is when we read the word perfect, we equate that with perfectionism. And there are plenty of people in Jesus' day and, and in our day who have this religious perfectionism down to a science. Uh, he called them, we called them, we know them as Pharisees. We talked about that. But that's not what Jesus had in mind, not that perfectionism. In fact, the evidence is overwhelming that Jesus actually really likes being with the least perfect people. Exhibit number one, the disciples. Right? Those guys were a mess half the time. Right? Exhibit number two, you and me, us. Right? Jesus loves being with the least perfect people. So what does it mean here? To be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, Jesus, leading up to this, gives us two metaphor-laden paragraphs that begin to help us grab hold of this. This is the word of the Lord for us today. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. 
If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Let's just stop there for a moment. Okay, this is the famous turn the other cheek passage. One of the most misinterpreted passages in the Bible. Many people have misinterpreted thinking Jesus is saying we are, allow, we are to allow people to abuse us or we're to allow people to mistreat us, but let's be clear here. This is not, as some, I, I've heard people defend abusive behavior in relationships around this passage of Scripture. Jesus is not affirming that. There's no place for abuse in relationships. Jesus isn't saying we're to sit as a doormat and let people trample on our lives or abuse or mistreat us. That's really not what he's saying. So what is he saying? I think if I walked up to you today and I just said good morning and slapped you in the face, I don't think you would be very happy. Or if I walked up to you today and I just took your coffee and ran away, you would maybe even be more angry with me. Right? I tried to take Al's coffee today and and he was not initially happy about that. Okay? So what is he saying here? Well, I think we can call this, I think some of the terms we might use, the descriptors, we would say this is self-sacrifice, this is radical commitment. We might say this is really true faith. We might call this godly restraint, but I think there's actually something much deeper here and much richer here. Because when we are walking in the way of Jesus, when we believe what God says about our identity, when we live in the light of participation with God in life, when our relationships are surrendered to Jesus and are the place where we truly practice our faith, when we are salt and light enriching and illuminating the world with our lives, we find grace from God to practice the life of self-forgetfulness. Self-forgetfulness. In his short book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, you could read it over your lunch hour. Timothy Keller makes a compelling statement. He says this, The essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. Gospel humility is not needing to think about myself, not needing to connect things with myself. And then get this, I stop connecting every experience, every conversation with myself. See, that's the person I think Jesus is speaking about here. They are so secure in their identity as a follower of Jesus, they simply do not have to be in the center. They are not overly sensitive and how they are treated, and they can offer mercy and grace to others. They have loose hands on possessions and reputation and their very lives. And their first concern is to be Christ-centered and others-oriented. I think that's part of what he's saying here. This idea of having loose hands on life as we trust him 
It brings to mind these words. 1 Corinthians says this, I'm allowed to do anything. I'm allowed to do anything. But not everything is good for you. You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. Or, or maybe these words, the paraphrase, the voice communicates Philippians 2 this way. Don't let selfishness and prideful agendas take over. Embrace true humility and lift your heads to extend love to others. Get beyond yourselves and protecting your own interests. Be sincere. Secure your neighbor's interests first. In other words, adopt the mindset of Jesus. Live with his attitude in your hearts. Don't go around in your life protecting your own interests. I think that's really what Jesus is saying. He's not saying we're to walk down in the world and let people abuse us and hurt us. And that's not what this is about. Look at the whole context of what he's saying. It's about having this life of trust with God where we release to him even these hard places, even these things that we get confused when it comes to identity and we think it's about our stuff or about our reputation or any of those kind of things. I think that that's what he begins to talk about, this life of self-forgetfulness. But then Jesus takes it a step further. And he says this. You have heard that it was said, love your, enemy, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? In other words, are not even the worst possible people in the world? Because that's how they were viewed in that day. Uh, don't they love people that are like them and they love, who love them? Even if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that when they see each other. When I read these passages, I'm not so sure there's not a better set of verses in the Bible to illustrate the love God has for us. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. When I first was trying to process through this passage, I thought this to myself, wow, this is powerful. This is a love that knows no enemy. This is a love that knows no racial barrier. This is a love that knows no political affiliation. This is a love that knows no sexual orientation. This is a love that knows no ethnic standing. This is a love that knows no socioeconomic position. And I began to think about that, and then it dawned on me, no, that's not what this is saying. This, this isn't saying that at all. at all. That's wrong, Jeff. You got it wrong. Uh, Jesus is saying that when we are fully aware of who our enemies are. When we are fully aware of those who are different from us, when we are fully aware of those who disagree with us or mistreat us or fail us or disappoint us or disregard us, we are to love them. 
He's saying we can love them. He gives us the ability to choose to love them. Period. And we're to do that, and we can do that much like God. Be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Remember Jesus on the cross? He goes to the place of the skull. There's a criminal on his right and a criminal on his left. And, and, and here are the people crucifying him. And Jesus not referring to the criminals on his right and left, but referring to the people who are executing him, says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He's fully aware of his enemy. He's fully aware of his mistreatment. He's fully aware. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. That's how God loved us and loves us still. Remember these words from Romans 5, verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if you go on a couple more verses, in verse 10, it says that we were loved while we were God's enemies. That's what it says, that we were still loved. Can you remember a time in your life when you were God's enemy? A choice that you made that was contradictory to what God wanted for your life? I remember a time in my life when I was God's enemy. I remember a time in my life when I would literally go up to Christian people and harass them. I remember a time in my life where I treated Christians who were around me harshly. I was God's enemy at a time in my life. And yet... Let this sink in. We were loved there. He sees what we are in our worst selves. God sees what we are in our worst selves. He rescues us from the mess our sinful choices have made and make. God has the full download on our thoughts and our motivations and our ambitions, and our desires, and our temptations. God has the complete FYI on who we are. And God loves us. I mean, we can't get our heads around that. This love from God, this agape love... This love, that's the word Jesus is using. Is This is given without any merit. It is not based on whether it is deserved or not. That's how God loves us. And that is why, that is the only kind of love that we can actually love our enemy with. That's the only kind of love we can actually love the person who's different than us with. The person who's hurt us with. It's the only kind of love that's a love that's beyond emotion. That's a love that's beyond good circumstances. That's a love that's, that comes from the heart of God. 
when we grab hold of how deeply loved we are, and I think this is one of the biggest challenges for all of us, it is for me, it's hard for me sometimes to just know that God loves me. Some of that comes from my own upbringing. Some of that comes from some of the things that have happened in the course of my life that I still have to work through, that God is still working on me. But the days when I really get how much God loves me, it is then, and really only then, because of that love that we are able to love the other, whoever the other is, in ways we cannot love on our own. This isn't about trying to figure out how I can love people. This is a love that comes from a preoccupation with God's love and leads us to this life of self-forgetfulness. How did Jesus put it? Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Not with a Pharisaic religious perfectionism. Who wants that? No, the, the idea that Jesus is trying to convey on the side of the hill that day isn't, isn't this perfectionistic standard, but rather Jesus is using the term perfection in this way. He wants us to fulfill the purpose for which we were created. And that, my friends, is found in those verses that I just read you that precede verse 48. And that really is the capstone of everything that we've been saying and will be said by Jesus. As he says later in life and ministry, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Nothing. If we don't get that, if we don't get that, we have nothing. So, I have a smartphone. Do you have a smartphone? Take your smartphone out if you have it. If you have a smartphone, take it out and look at it. Just look at your smartphone, okay? Now, I'm looking at mine. Mine's banged up, right? Look at your... Mine needs a cleaning. So, I had this conversation with our granddaughter about our smartphones, and I said, you need to clean your smartphone. So, I went online, and I Googled how dirty smartphones are. Don't do that, <laughs> right? So I, I cleaned it before I came in here because I knew I was going to be talking about it. It needed to be clean. It's scratched. I have some scratches on it. If I'm like, like not connected to a, a good network, uh, it sometimes it seems slower and you know all those kind of things. And, and so that's my smartphone. It's pretty, it looks kind of nasty actually when I look at it now in this light. It's not looking very good. But this thing, one thing I know about the smartphone, this is a perfect smartphone. It's perfect. It's perfect because it fulfills the purpose for which it was made. Sometimes it seems to do that imperfectly for me when it's having trouble connecting to a network or whatever. But it fulfills the purpose for which it was created. What we have been saying since January 12th that is this way of Jesus is the way of life we are created for. 
We're created for this. It is the purpose we are made to fulfill, loving God with all we have and actually loving others, all others, out of the great love we have for what God is doing in our lives. This is what we are made for. And when some read these words from Jesus, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, some are going to say that what Jesus is calling us to is impossible. In fact, some commentators say that the entire Sermon on the Mount is actually intended just to show us what we can't do. But I don't buy that. I don't buy that these words are just intended to be how we can't live for Jesus. I actually think that what this is about is what we can actually do, how we can actually live the way we can actually walk in the way of Jesus. How else do you explain the Amish in October of 2006? Tell me how you explain that. Gunman Charles Carl Roberts IV took hostages. And at the end of the day, five little Amish girls were killed. And then he took his own life. The immediate response from the Amish was forgiveness. There were journalists who were stunned and others criticized the Amish for forgiving so quickly. But one of the fathers of one of the slain girls explained, he said, our forgiveness was not our words, it was what we did. By the way, that's called decisional forgiveness. Where you forgive, and then you figure out the emotion of all that. As you go, and if you read about them to this day, 14 years later, they're still figuring that out. Our forgiveness was not our words, it was what we did. And so, you know what they did? Members of the community, the Amish community, visited the gunman's widow within 24 hours. Her father was in the driveway, the gunman's father in law. And Amish men gathered around and put their arms around him as he wept over what his son-in-law had done. They came and they brought food and they brought flowers and they hugged family members and their hugs and their gifts were just this amazing communication of God's love. Seventy-five people attended the gunman's funeral Almost half of them were Amish people. Some of them had just buried their daughters the day before. At the gunman's funeral, the Amish came and they stood and made a wall so that the media couldn't get in to protect the gunman's family. And you probably know that the Amish contributed to a fund for the shooter's family. And later on, when the, when the gunman's um, mother was diagnosed with breast cancer, one of the little girls who survived the shooting 
would go and clean her house. And they eventually built a little addition on for her, the Amish community. And at Christmas, that first Christmas, up pulled the yellow school bus and I outpiled a bunch of Amish children to sing Christmas carols to this woman. How do you explain that? How do you explain what happened in Charleston, South Carolina in 2015? Two shocking things happened. On June 17th, Dylan Roof, a 23-year-old white supremacist, killed nine African Americans during a Bible study. Second shocking thing that happened. Two days later, members of the victim's families publicly forgave the killer. Some, even in court, expressed forgiveness and a desire that he would seek Jesus and find the grace of Jesus. And the world looked on and people were outraged that they would do that. But Brian Ivey, who produced a documentary called Emmanuel, chronicling the, what happened beyond the news media, he said this about the families and their acts of forgiveness. He said, what they each said individually is that God took over. Hear that. God took over. And that's where they found what they wanted to say to the murderer. And even though the evil he brought with him was real, the love was even greater. I'm going to be honest with you. I, these stories just so grab me, and I say, oh, Lord Jesus, I would hope I'd be the same. But, but it wasn't what they did. It's what God did. What God did in them. Because they were on the way with Jesus. What God did giving them grace in that moment. And that's what God does. He, he doesn't say, listen, Jeff, I'm going to give you the grace for that moment down there. And I just trust him in the moment here. And then when I hit that moment down there, all of a sudden I find grace that I didn't know I could have from God. Sometimes I'm not aware that I received that grace until after the fact. And I look back and I go, look at what God allowed me to do. But, you know, this isn't the way the world really runs. Jesus said, it has been said, you have heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Oh, we're more prone, we're more tempted, we're more pulled in an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth kind of world. But this isn't the way the world runs. This, you see, this message challenges us to really assess if we live out the way of Jesus or if we choose the way the world runs. The call is clear. Be, be perfect, therefore, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. I don't know where this message, as we close this series, taps on your heart. I know it's tapping on my heart. It's tapping. I don't know where it's tapping. But can I invite you today just to have loose hands. Relief yourself, release yourself to that tapping and say yes to God. 
And be the person God defines you to be. And fulfill the purpose you're created for. And love like you have been loved by God. On the way with Jesus. It is the only way to go. It's the only way to go. As our worship team comes, let's pray together. Lord, we're, we're, these words are so challenging for us today. We're the first ones to get at the head of the line and to raise our hands and say, how? But we know it's not something that we create or generate. We, we know it's not something that we kind of figure out in the way of the world that we've been taught. We know this comes from a life of trust in you and, and actually seeking from you the love and the grace we need. We know it comes from a life of surrender to you where you then, Lord God, fill us with your perfect love. It's not our love. My love is so conditional. So Lord, I pray for myself as I pray for my friends today. Fill me with your love. I give myself to your love, Lord. Fill me with your love. Fill me with this love that is not the way of the world. And in that process, Lord, give me courage where I actually see how I buy into the way of the world more than I do the way of Jesus. Thank you for loving us so much, so deeply. Help me see fresh and anew how loved by you, Almighty God, who's so all too familiar with who I am. Especially those places that are in the secret place. And even there, fill me, God. Fill us, God, with a love that can only happen as I give myself away in this life of self-forgetfulness. Lord, we give ourselves away and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand together, please. Let us go on the way with Jesus. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Greet one another in his name.